It is Monday, August 14th, 2023, and this is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellams. Today, international travel. You need a passport for that, and a lot of people are getting their passports in Hot Springs, and I mean a lot. We literally had to triple our support staff. So in terms of order volume, increase to our customer hotline, and overall support, the demand is has just been crazy. Plus, we use Prior Center Archives to spend time with fads. 2,400 Cabbage Patch dolls were delivered to each of three Little Rock Target stores for last-minute shoppers. And for this edition of Ozarks at Large, Animals at Large. So now you can actually impound that animal and take control of that animal if, if you don't know who the owner is. And you have three months to do something with that animal or, or just hold that animal. First, the news from NPR. The Arkansas Natural Sky Association will host the Arkansas Dark Sky Festival September 14th through the 16th on Bear Creek south of the Buffalo National River, Arkansas's only international dark sky park. There will be a constellation tour, viewing of the Milky Way, and Arkansas-born Dr. Amber Strawn will share her research using the James Webb Space Telescope. Information at darkskyarkansas.org. The Scott Family Amazium in Bentonville invites families to play and make amazing memories this summer. Discover hands-on experiences for all ages, all summer long. The Amazium is open every day except Tuesdays. Hours, upcoming programs, and more at amazium.org. This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, August 14th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. You're listening to KUAF 91.3, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, there once was an Arkansas law that required if you found a lost cow, horse, or mule, you had to ride the animal to town. You did get 50 cents for your trouble. Now... A century later, the Arkansas Department of Agriculture has launched the Animal at Large reporting form. We'll learn more later. First, looking to travel outside of the U.S. in the next year, you might want to double-check the dates on your passport. A record number of new and renewal applications, coupled with an already hefty backlog, is leaving some travelers stranded. Ozark at Large's Daniel Carruth has more. The 2023 summer travel season kicked off to a grinding halt for a lot of would-be globetrotters. We've had an unprecedented demand for renewed travel. Uh, We're getting 500,000 applications a week for a passport. That was Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking at a House Appropriations Committee hearing earlier this year. In 2022, the U.S. Department of State processed 22 million passports, more than any time before. And a spokesperson from the department says they are on track to break that record in 2023. Michael Orzachowski is the vice president for strategic partnerships with Rush My Passport, a passport expediting service provided by FedEx. He says his company saw an uptick in demand when COVID-19 travel restrictions began to lift. But over the last year, we've seen, a, especially coming out of COVID, we've seen a really big uh, spike in demand for, for our services. So at Rush My Passport, we help customers navigate that entire process from how they apply for a passport to making sure that they have the right forms, the right checklists, all the right instructions. But this year, he says that number skyrocketed. We literally had to triple our support staff. So in terms of order volume, um, increase to our customer hotline, and overall support, the demand is has just been crazy. And we don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Um, many people think it's going to get worse before it gets better. That's to be determined. 
And that unprecedented demand also means long wait times. According to the State Department, it takes 10 to 13 weeks for routine processing and 7 to 9 weeks for expedited service. Though Orzachowski says those timelines can be a little misleading, too. What a lot of people do not realize is that does not include mail time on the front end and on the back end. So usually, you know, it's safe to say you can add two weeks of mail time on the front and two weeks of mail time on the back. So now you're talking up to 17 weeks in order to obtain a passport. And many people don't realize this when they're booking their travel or they're planning their next vacation. Earlier this year, the State Department did roll out an online passport renewal service, but shut it down after a number of issues. A spokesperson for the department said through email that the online service was closed to work out technical problems and has not contributed to the backlog. And Orzachowski says the real bottleneck stems from the pandemic. When travel restrictions were implemented in 2020, applications for first-time and renewal passports dropped off, and the passport centers halted processing new passports, and some even cut staff. Now, he says, those centers are trying to catch back up. Brian Poepsell is the assistant director of study abroad at the University of Arkansas, and he says getting students to prepare necessary documents to secure a passport has always been challenging, but the backlog has only made that process worse. You used to think of it as part of the process of planning to study abroad because most college students are getting their first passport, you know, so as part of the process, but really it needs to be the first step in the process now to get a passport. And then, uh, you know, if you have any idea that you want to travel internationally, just get it done. The University of Arkansas is among the top 40 institutions in the country that facilitated international student travel, according to a 2022 State Department report. During the 2021-22 academic year, the university sent 904 students to 36 countries. And then this Past academic year, we increased sending by like 11% over our previous record pre-COVID. So we are sending more and more students. And with that, he says this year the office has seen more students in need of expedited and emergency passports. I have a student right now who's applying for a second emergency passport because our first passport isn't hasn't been processed for the visa yet. So... She's going to go get a, an emergency passport so she could travel. And that involves waiting on hold for hours to try to get a, a person to talk to you, to schedule an appointment, and you have to prove that you have imminent, urgent travel. But luckily for Arkansas travelers, the state is home to one of the just 26 passport offices in the United States. A lot of Arkansans are going to Hot Springs. And actually, it used to be 70% of American passports were processed in Hot Springs, Arkansas. Yeah, it is kind of a, it is a unique advantage that we have in Arkansas. Yes, the Hot Springs Passport Office, which opened in 2007, was the country's largest passport processing facility, working through more than 100,000 applications a week, according to records from the State Department. The facility opened at another time when passport applications were surging, and the agency was looking to expand production. There's a whole host of things that, that companies are looking for. That's Jay Cheshire. Back in the early 2000s, he worked for the Hot Springs Chamber of Commerce and helped to land the passport office for the city. 
in this case, uh, obviously, a um, an area in the middle of the country was something they were interested in, along with the ability to secure the facility uh, based upon the confidential nature of the information coming through there. While trying to build a technology park close to the Hot Springs Airport, the development board received a $1 million loan to put up a building there, and Cheshire says they were marketing the facility to local companies when he got an offer from a site selection firm. We then found out it was the company that the State Department had contracted with to do the, 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 the passport process. There were approximately two or three facilities at that time. This expansion facility was to, again, help them satisfy the, the need for not only the traditional passport processing activity, but also to uh, become a facility where you could expedite. And in 2010, the office opened public counters to process same-day emergency or urgent passports. And Cheshire says that has strangely brought more people to the state and to the spa city. But he says most Arkansans actually don't know about it. I can't tell you how many uh, people from around the country that uh, are either peers or or business acquaintances or, or family or what have you that I have said, hey, you know, here's here's the best place to come get that done. And you're right, it's it's not it's not something that's well marketed, which obviously it's it doesn't need to be. But at the same time, it has provided for uh, people an opportunity to, especially when you look again at the mid south area, to get in and get out. We we have people that literally fly in um, that that we know about that are flying in all of the time to to drive over there and have their, their process expedited. But with the backlog, more travelers have been scrambling to Arkansas to get those passports. In fact, back in 2021, NPR's global health correspondent Jason Bobian found himself waiting around in Hot Springs in this news clip from June of that year. And when I get to the office, the security guards are mentioning that people are coming from all over the country to Arkansas. They're even recommending barbecue places that they can go nearby while you're waiting. In the lobby, there was one guy from Dallas, another guy from Atlanta. I didn't see anyone from Arkansas in the Arkansas passport office trying to get a passport. And that might be because this service is reserved for emergency circumstances. Appointments are made over the phone for people who have urgent travel in the next 14 days and assigned based on availability, not necessarily location. And that's why the State Department is urging people to plan further ahead than usual. Here's Michael Orzachowski again. 30% of all applications that get submitted by everyday people when they go themselves they get suspended because they're either filled out incorrectly, they're missing something, they didn't sign something, the passport photo is compliant, or in many cases, they, they pay the wrong amount. The instructions for new and renewal passports are available online at travel.state.gov passports. And if you do have a passport, double check that expiration date. Most countries require the passport to be valid for at least six months before the expiration date to enter. And Jay Cheshire says, while it's nice to have a passport agency nearby, the process isn't exactly fun. 
laughingly, uh, I keep it in, in a secure place and I hadn't seen it in a while. And so I laughingly went and went, Oh my, I hope I don't have to go do this again. And thankfully I, I, I was not close to being expired and still have a little time left. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Daniel Carruth. No passport is required for the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks' 7th Annual International Festival, Sunday, September 10th, from 3 to 7 p.m. The afternoon is part of the National Observation of Welcoming Week, a series of events nationwide bringing together immigrants, refugees, and native-born residents to affirm the importance of welcoming and inclusive places in achieving collective prosperity. The BGO lineup includes traditional food, dance, music, and art. The MC of the festival is Papa Rap. The September 10th event is open to the public, and there is no admission charge. Attention KUAF listeners. Your favorite monthly concert series, The Lunch Hour, is taking the stage and receiving national recognition. From the hard-hitting raps about Searcy, Arkansas by Eddie Canyon to the beautiful electronic classical music by Amos Cochran. See some of your favorite local artists sharing a platform with artists like Leon Bridges, Saba, and more. All you have to do is go to NPR Live Sessions and search KUAF. Ahead this hour, fads. The Rubik Cube, the toy that's become a national obsession. It's driven some to distraction, it's made local celebrities out of others who were able to solve it first, and it's formed an avalanche of books and papers on the subject. And now, even the mathematicians are hooked. From Rubik's Cube to Cabbage Patch Dolls, archives from the prior center this week remind us of those fads we may have forgotten about. That's in about six minutes. This is Ozarks at Large. I'm Matthew Moore. I'm Kyle Kellums. Shea Lewis will continue as Arkansas Secretary of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders announced Friday that Lewis will continue in the role after being named Interim Secretary in June. Lewis started with Arkansas State Parks as a seasonal park interpreter in 1995. Lewis replaced Mike Mills, who left the job earlier this year after just a few months. The Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield is offering grants for Arkansas schools to help provide calming rooms for students. The Take Good Care initiative helps address mental health issues among adolescents and teenagers in Arkansas. Maxine Greenwood is the Director of Public and Government Affairs for Arkansas Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Schools have become very aware of the stress that a lot of our children and teens deal with. And so calming rooms basically are rooms that provide a quiet space where students can go and, you know, take a few minutes to sort of collect their thoughts, relax, you know, take a breath. They're all under the guidance of the school counselors, nurses, or the school administrators. She says one school from each of the state's 75 counties will receive a $2,500 grant to help fund the calming rooms for students. All schools, public, private, and charter schools in Arkansas who who serve students ages 12 to 18 years old are eligible to, to apply for these grants. The applications must be submitted by September 22nd, so a little more than a month from now. Links for grant applications and more information are on our website, ozarksatlarge.com. 
Most schools across the state are starting the 2023-2024 academic year today. The new school year includes changes brought by the Arkansas Learns legislation passed by legislators earlier this year. Among those changes, a $14,000 increase in minimum teacher pay, the first-year implementation of vouchers available for students at more than 90 schools, and a new test at the end of the year to measure academic progress called ATLAS. Most area colleges and universities are gearing up for the start of the fall semester next week. Northeastern Oklahoma State University in Tahlequah begins the semester today. It's the first year with a new president on campus. Rodney Hanley is the 20th president in school history and takes the job after Steve Turner announced his retirement earlier this year. The Razorback soccer team will open the 2023 season Thursday night after wrapping up the exhibition season with a 6-0 win over Southern Illinois University Evansville Saturday night. The season opener against Arkansas State is scheduled for a 6 o'clock first kick Thursday night in Fayetteville. And the Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team is arriving back in Fayetteville today after winning all three exhibition games on a European tour. The team will now take a break before beginning practice for the official season in the fall. All right, we'll get to that in a minute. First, let me introduce Randy Dixon. Hello, Hello, Kyle. Randy is with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral Visual History. What was that, Randy? That was the original uh, television commercial for the Barbie doll, right? which came out in 1959, the year I was born. Well, there you go. And Barbie is having more than just a moment in the summer of 2023. Oh, my gosh. She's having a a billion-dollar moment. A phenomenon. A cinematic phenom- phenomenon. It, it really is. I um, I haven't seen it. Have you seen it? I have. I saw it last weekend. And? I liked it very, very much. And I think I really enjoyed it. It's not kitschy as much as it's sort of relevant. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Especially from my 20-year-old daughter. Yeah. I think, I think it, it's well worth a view. Why are we talking about this on a... On a segment that's supposed to be Arkansas history? Yes. Well, it made me start thinking about fads. Surely there would be some material of, you know, 50 years worth of news coverage from KTV that there would be some fad. I would think so. Material would, in there. Yes. So anyway, uh, just to kind of get into all this, mm-hmm. let's talk about Barbie. Okay. Everybody's buying pink. Everybody's buying yep. Barbie. So um, there's a place here in Fayetteville, if you know, to fill all of your Barbie needs. Uh, they've got the Barbie logo on the side of their wall. They do, yeah. and you can't miss it if you're driving down College. Big, big pink right building, and it's called Presley Page. It's a boutique and gift store, but they're on the uh, the Barbie bandwagon. Yeah. And uh, I talked to their marketing director, Abby Strickland, and you know about the fad and how long it might last. I think Boy. it was a summer thing for sure. I feel like before the movie, the Barbie team definitely, I mean, it's all the rage in the marketing world is what they were doing with all these brands. And we are carrying a lot of like collaborations with Barbie and some sort of brand. Um, and I think those pre-movie collections were when people were really into it and then right when the movie came out everyone was rushing to the theaters to see it and again grabbing those things like 
styrofoam cups to take in, whatever that might look like. Um, and we saw that way more, I think, in June and July and going into August, I feel like we're definitely still having people come in, take pictures, ask about it, but I don't see the longevity past the summer. Fads come back. Yeah. And they're, they're cyclical. Yeah, and I think if you've been permanently on the market, and, and granted, popularity has, you know, ebbed and flowed for Barbie, but I think she's beyond a fad. I mean, if you've been around as long as you have, you're not a fad. <laughs> Randy Dixon is, <laughs> is here to stay. Oh, I'm a flash in the pan. <laughs> So, all right. Yeah. Back on track. Yes. We're, uh, I'm, I decided to go through the archives to find any sort of coverage, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the way the old archiving system is set up, there are subject person and personality categories. Mm -hmm. And I found a category for fads. Oh, good. And I thought, well, gosh, let's just see what's in here. From an Arkansas standpoint, but I came across this first that I thought we might want to take a listen to. It's from a 1987 documentary from ABC News uh, about the 60s. And this is how they talked about 1967 and the summer of love. From all across the country in the 1960s, thousands of young people came here to protest the war in Vietnam and bend their minds with LSD. They were the flower children, and they invented acid rock. The Grateful Dead are playing a tune called, appropriately enough, Dancing in the Street. All right, that's from a 1987 documentary, so 20 years after the Summer of Love. And, and they were talking yeah. about it as being I guess, sort of faddish. Yeah. All right, let's switch to Arkansas. All right. Uh, I found this from 1971. This was under the fad section, mm -hmm. and it was a teenager from Little Rock, and he was breaking the world's record for longest drumming. Oh, gosh. And it, all it described him was, was, you know, teenage... Drummer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I queue it up, and I'm looking at it, I know the guy. <laughs> of course you do. Well, uh, he was a friend of my brother's. I uh, went to school with him. His name's Frank Pritchett. And, uh, well, let's listen to this clip. It was newsworthy at the time. That's on a solo drum beat, right? Yes, sir. How long have you been playing the drum today? Since 6 a.m. this morning. And uh, how long do you have to go to, to uh, accomplish this state record that you're trying to today? Well, I hold the old state record at eight hours, and I'm going to go 18 hours and go to midnight tonight. How long have you been playing the drums? I've been playing for seven years. What is uh, one thing that you have to remember? I know you're playing 18 hours, you're probably going to get tired. How are you trying to balance this? Well, you just have to pace yourself and keep mentally alert. And after you've been drumming for like six or seven years like I have, it doesn't tire you out as much if you just play softly. You can still play a lot and play fast, but play soft, softly, and I don't get tired. Thank you very much. All right, moving on into the 70s, this, this was something that was Channel 7 editorial staff, I suppose, mm -hmm. deemed as a fad, denim. Okay, we'll talk more about I mean, this. I'm wearing jeans right now. Yeah. Um, 
But I guess at this time, you, you didn't see... You did not see in workplaces adults wearing jeans. Right. Or or a denim jacket like, suit suit. Yeah. I mean right. I back in the seventies, I hate to admit it, I had a a three piece <laughs> denim suit. Anyway, uh this is a report from Liz Walker from nineteen seventy five about all the denim stuff you can get. Well everything has uh even in the fashion industry, even in the uh quizzit things have come to denim and it's because denim is so easy to wear and uh, you can look nice and dressed up and still you know be casual. What do you think about the price increase? Is that going to continue or price is going to get higher as demand increases or what? Well we found out uh, now that uh, the denim prices are kind of leveling off. We had uh, the economic situation made the denim go up in the increase in the cotton prices and everything and now it's kind of leveled off and it may stay about the same or maybe even a little lower. How far do you think this uh, phase is going to go? Do you think it'll just keep on sky high or do you think people will finally get tired of denim? Well, right now there's no end in sight. Let's let's throw out some sounds. Okay. And uh, hopefully there'll be positive triggers. Uh, so let's let's hear this. This is something else that was widely popular then on the verge of extinction exactly. and now is back right uh and that's of course vinyl yeah and so um you know records have been around since the late 1800s mm-hmm. um their popularity comes and goes right, right. It, it it waned really the most at the introduction of digital technology or cds right and then you know now streaming mm-hmm. but you know de- vinyl's definitely back i'm yeah. i'm into it yeah. i i stop in block street all the time and grab stuff so i went and talked to to wade, wade ogle, ogle. Yeah. yeah who owns the place and you know he's had that and i didn't realize uh for nine years and it's been popular enough that he's opened a second store in Bentonville. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I talked to him about uh, the success and continued success of vinyl. I've kind of been waiting nine years for it to plateau and then to descend. And I kind of prepared myself to know that I think that's coming, but then it kind of keeps not happening so i don't really know i can't really explain it at this point we're nine years in and uh every year's better than the last okay so vinyl is back um let's give me another throw, sound let's throw another sound that that hits uh from my teen years right <laughs> yeah there. yeah yeah and me too yeah um it may be a little Little older because I'm yeah. I'm I got yeah. a few years a few, on you, yes. yeah. But video arcades, yeah. Um, you know, there's one here in Fayetteville, Arcadia. There's Arcadia Retrocade that's been around for ten years now. Yeah, Evelyn and, Hills in Fayetteville. But you know they're popping up all over the country, and and he's had his successfully going, like I said, for about ten years. But um, I went and talked to. Shay Mathis, the owner, 
And, uh, you know, he said there's a lot of nostalgia to it, which there is. I can feel it walking in. Yeah. But, you know, he says there's more than that. That people, as soon as they set foot in the place, if they've ever been in the 70s, 80s, or 90s, they know what I'm doing here. They get it. Um, the kids who didn't grow up, I, I say kids, I mean any sort of generation behind, that, that came up, like, say... My children. 2000s and post. <laughs> yeah. They know what this is. Uh, they know the games. They're familiar with the characters and the games and the companies and the gameplay. Um, they've just maybe never actually been to a physical arcade. So it's super fun for them to be able to experience it firsthand on the original hardware, on the original machines, just as we did growing up. Yeah, well, and I think what the, the little kids or the younger kids have, have discovered in Arcadia is exactly one of the benefits that we discovered growing up in arcades. It wasn't just about the games. It was about hanging out. It was about having a safe place to just cut loose and goof off and play. And um, I, th I think I can say it after more than 10 years of doing this, I've seen that every day in, in here, and it never gets old. The kids coming in, hanging out, enjoying the video games, but also just enjoying being together and socializing face-to-face. -face. And should point out that there's also a pinball bar in downtown Fayetteville, Pinpoint. Mm -hmm. Bo, Bo Counts has dozens of pinball machines in there, and wildly popular. They had the Arkansas State Pinball Championship there earlier this year. Right. Yeah. And Shay pointed out is that, you know, with technology the way it is, Something can be passe and already come back just within a few years. Yeah. Uh, but like he said, you know, it's it's more of an experience because, you know, of course, there are video games that you play on your phone. Oh. But but to go right. into the get that sound. Right. It's uh, it's it's quite an experience. My daughters, uh, when we moved up here, they were preteen and. Every time they came to town, we were there. We yeah. spent hours and hours there. It was a great place. You want to hit some more? Yes, please. Okay. You'll know this one. Uh, I always kind of hated this. Okay. <laughs> but in the 1970s, a Hungarian professor, you'll recognize the name, Erno Rubik. Okay. Uh, had a had a habit of inventing various puzzles that would promote science and problem solving in his teaching and education. But by 1980, that one sliding square cube uh, was just all the rage. So here's a report uh, from the archives on the Rubik's Cube. The Rubik Cube, the toy that's become a national obsession. It's driven some to distraction, it's made local celebrities out of others who were able to solve it first, and it's spawned an avalanche of books and papers on the subject. And now, even the mathematicians are hooked. There are said to be 43 million, million, million variations to the faces of a Rubik Cube, as these students at York were discovering today. More than 50 million cubes have been sold to date, and now mathematicians have joined the craze. Today at the science conference at York, American mathematician Dr. David Singmaster lectured to British scientists on the cube's intriguing properties. But why are eminent mathematicians now becoming absorbed in what is, after all, just a toy? And this turns out to be immensely useful for students. Many students find it very difficult to learn abstract concepts without seeing concrete examples first. Judging from the accents, I think that was a report from the BBC. Right, right. And uh, 
Here's here's another craze, another mm-hmm. fad from the, from around the same year, right around late seventies, early eighties. But if you'll remember, Urban Cowboy, John Travolta, Deborah Winger. That's right on the big screen, mm-hmm. and what was on TV? Dallas. Yep. So there's this big cowboy craze, and I think it was maybe uh, more unique on the. On the East coast. and West yes. Coast, but I mean, cowboys are, are are not rare in Arkansas. No, but it became a big deal for city folk, you know, to dress up and go out and two step. So uh, you know, bars would have their country music night, and there were even stores that would set up entire sections of the store for Western wear. But uh, here's a report from 1980 from KETV's Lori Tucker. It's everywhere, on the street, in the department stores, at the night spots. If the Western look has taken America by storm, it's equally hot in Arkansas. Stores like M.M. Cones and Dillard's that usually carry conservative clothing can't keep enough cowboy boots, cowboy hats, and Western shirts. I cannot keep enough cowboy hats. I don't know if it's because of J.R. or the Urban Cowboy. (laughs) People like to have something nice to wear out. You know, you can wear different kinds of shirts and pants, but uh, people are getting into more the more expensive boots like lizard and uh, bullhide, shark, different kinds of boots. About how much are they spending uh, for each pair? Well, these will run from 100 up to, uh, like this pair here is a lizard skin. It's $220 a pair. The motion picture Urban Cowboy has been credited by many as being the power surge behind the Western movement. Now, let's get into some toys. Okay. Like, all right, what were the big toys when you were a kid? All of mine were dangerous. (laughs) Like lawn darts. Yeah, I had some of those. Um, I remember matchbox matchbox cars. Yeah. Those little green army men. Uh Uh-huh. Lincoln logs. Okay. All right, how about you? Oh, a wood burning set. <laughs> I don't even know what that is. Well, it it was uh they were little squares of plywood that had oh. a drawing on it. How would you burn it? You had a very hot electric oh my tool. No. It was like a soldering iron, basically, with a How tip on it. That was probably Six. Oh, this is not a good idea. No, I, it was ridiculous. You, you can't find these anymore, probably. Oh, no. Got to go to the dark web to get your wood burn Right. And, and yeah, that's not just out of popularity. Yeah. I think that's the law. I was, a child is going to burn themselves with it. I was playing with <laughs> toy cars and stuffed animals. I was far safer, I think. Anyway, uh, let's get into the 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, cabbage Patch Dolls. Here is a fad. This is an honest-to-goodness fad. I will sign off on Yes. This. Yeah. Well, and you could put that in, I guess, with uh, with a little beanie babies, beanie babies, yep, yep. Uh, Furbies. Yeah, yeah. Now, you don't you don't find those, but these Cabbage Patch dolls, when they were hot, they came out in '84, and just right before Christmas hit, and so by the next Christmas, everybody was wanting them. So here's a report. From 1985. The store manager described it as a mob scene. It wasn't far from the truth. 2,400 Cabbage Patch dolls were delivered to each of three Little Rock Target stores for last-minute shoppers. 
yesterday at 4 o'clock we received 2,400 and probably by 3 o'clock today there won't be one in the house. How can you explain it? I don't explain it. I just sell it. One more sound. Okay. And I, boy, do I have a personal story about this. All right, so you, you're not a fan of Elmo? Oh, I mean, I didn't like that sound. It was mm-hmm. annoying mm-hmm. from the beginning. But then when your daughter wants one uh. and has to have it for Christmas, uh. I ended up calling all <laughs> over the state, finally found one at a Walmart in Moralton and begged them to hold it for me, and I drove to Moralton and got it. Wow. And then I listened to that <laughs> for the next six months, and I'm telling you, it's burned into my brain. Okay. Well, so I'm not a fan of Elmo. And, and Elmo, I think, still exists. I think he's still on Sesame Street, right? The character didn't go away. I don't know. But he's not the, over- <laughs> yeah, you, he's not the overwhelming... Um, no, no. And there are so many that we haven't done here. There just wasn't time. But, Wouldn't you, you know, you talk skateboards. And, right. But again, that's something that didn't go away. Right. The popularity rises and falls. Exactly. You know, you think like swing dancing. Remember when swing dancing was oh, something yeah. for about a month and a half? Yes. Or uh, chants, medieval chants. Oh, yeah. There was like six weeks yep. where that was the rage. I think the best fads are the ones you have to really think about. Oh, remember. Yeah. yeah, people did sell pet yeah. rocks. Yeah. What was that all about? Trivial pursuit. Yeah, good point. Yeah. So, uh, we've been talking about Barbie. Yep. You want to close with Barbie? Absolutely. All right, so at the beginning, we ran that first commercial from mm-hmm. 1959. How about if we close out with a new, modern, up-to-date from 2021? We'll do that after I remind people that you are Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Randy, thanks as always for your time. Thank you. I'll see you next week. Barbie Extra. This is Ozarks at Large. When I started in radio about 44 years ago in Mountain Home, one of the first things I did on the air was let people know if there were loose cows on county roads. I had an occasion last week to mention this early part of my career to Patrick Fisk, the director of the Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Livestock and Poultry Division. <laughs> Very interesting. I, I didn't realize we even had some programs like that. The Department of Ag's Livestock and Poultry Division has started a new way for people with missing or found livestock to register the animals. The Animal at Large reporting form allows people to use an online system to track goats, swine, and cattle that have gone for a walkabout. Patrick told me last week that there have actually been laws on the books about this sort of thing since the 1800s. So we've dealt with it for, for many years, but they were very complicated. Uh, they were, you know, archaic language uh, for today's standards, and they um, uh, really didn't deal with today's issues. You know, we're, we're talking about one of the things we noticed in the law was saying that uh, uh, if someone finds a cow or, or a horse or a mule, uh, they have to ride it to town, uh, to, to the clerk's office, uh, to, to claim that they had found this uh, animal. And then the, the, the JP gets involved and he assesses someone to 
uh, go out and make sure that uh, the other cows that are on the location are properly identified, and each one of those persons gets 50 cents uh, for their efforts. So this, these laws date back a long time. And the Arkansas Department of Agriculture knew it was time to update the procedure. Patrick Fisk says for years, Arkansans in rural parts of the state had really two real options, call local police or local animal control. But not every community or county has animal control options, and most authorities are not equipped to deal with loose, large animals. Patrick says meandering animals, think goats, can cause property damage. And a lot of times that'll happen on a regular basis. Uh, it may be a, uh, it's, you know, it could escalate as much as a civil issue or neighbor against neighbor. So we want to try to resolve these issues because, you know, right now there's uh, local authorities just have their hands tied mm-hmm. and it's just difficult to address some of these issues. And he says since the food supply chain slipped during the pandemic, more Arkansans are interested in buying their own chickens and other livestock. He says new animal owners may not always be well equipped for housing those animals. We'll get a call. There's pig loose in Jacksonville, or there's a there's goats at my church uh, eating the carpet around the, the outside of the walls. So it's um, so it, it is escalating a problem. So now the animal at large reporting form. It's a pretty intuitive web page that allows you to either report your missing animal or report the animal you found in your yard. This also means that if you have an unfamiliar animal show up at your place, you have new options. So now you can actually impound that animal and take control of that animal if, if you don't know who the owner is. And you have three months to do something with that animal or, or I guess hold that animal. After that three months, you're allowed to sell it. Uh, the local market, private treaty, however you want to do that. And um, and there's some other, other caveats there, too. You can't take profit off of it. Any If you got $200 in that three months of feeding that animal, providing there's no property damage, uh, you, you get that $200 back, but the, the remainder goes to the county itself for road funds and, and different different things. So we don't want someone just to claim animals and, and make a profit off of this. You don't want to encourage wrestling, yeah. in other words. I mean, kind I, of. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We're, we're trying to clean up a problem, not create another problem. There are laws about holding, selling, and recovering animals. And there are different lengths of time for different kinds of animals. Many of those rules and laws regard the impounding of an animal that shows up unexpectedly on your property. But... Not all of us have the ability to temporarily hold a cow, goat, or pig to wait for the owner to reclaim that animal. That's one of those things that is, you know, uh, what if, right. and we're trying to resolve that. We, we do realize that not everybody has a fence that they can keep Larry in. <laughs> so we, we can actually work with a local market in that area. If that market, that cattle market is able, because they have the fencing, they have the areas, they have the quarantine lot, if they're willing to take that animal own, then they can either take the responsibility of feeding it and then reclaiming it later on, or the the person that's impounded the animal can make a deal with um, that um, market owner. So, But we will try to make some kind of arrangements to, to, to find a place for them. Hopefully we can find someone in the area that's lost one and get that resolved quickly. But if not, then we'll try to work it as a case-by-case scenario. Uh, but yeah, that's not everybody's got a fence. Patrick Fisk is the director of the Arkansas Department of Agriculture's Livestock and Poultry Division. You can find out much more about the Animal at Large form by going to the agriculture.arkansas.gov webpage, then look for the Livestock and Poultry tab. We also have a link at Ozarks 
at large.com. Hey, it's A. Martinez. So you want to be a morning person. Get up without hitting the snooze button, make your bed right away, eat a healthy breakfast. Okay, okay, you're still working on it. We get it. Go ahead, hit snooze. Morning Edition from NPR News will be here for you all morning, whether you make the bed or not. Listen every weekday. Morning Edition, every weekday morning, including tomorrow morning, from 5 to 9 on 91.3 KUAF. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, we take a deeper look at Act 195, better known as the Youth Hiring Act of 2023. Some are concerned about the impact this will have on young teenagers. I'm not sure why we took a step in the other direction by loosening these laws. And I think, if anything, we needed to be moving in the other direction. More on child labor laws in Arkansas tomorrow on Ozarks at Large at noon and at 7 p.m. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Joseph Lee Baker Jr. was born in 1944. He likely could have been a highly paid studio session player, but the guitarist chose to be a disciple of the blues instead. His high school band was called the Blazers, which stayed together after high school when its members all attended Memphis State. Baker's first studio experience was in Memphis with the Blazers and Arkansas' Roland Janes of Clay County at the board. Lee Baker toured with the Marquis, played with the likes of Arkansas' Charlie Rich, and such luminaries of the blues as Booker White, Gus Cannon, Sleepy John Estes, Mississippi Fred McDowell, and Rufus Thomas. Baker particularly connected with bluesman Furry Lewis. Furry taught me how to lay back a whole lot, Baker later said. Baker became especially adept at slide guitar. late 1960s, Lee Baker formed Moloch, a psychedelic blues quintet that played shows with the MC5 and the Stooges. A scandalous show in Fayetteville, Arkansas nearly got the band, its dancers, and promoter Randall Lyon of Little Rock arrested. Moloch's 1970 debut was on the Stack subsidiary Enterprise Records, named after the starship on Brinkley native Al Bell's favorite TV show, Star Trek. Busta Jones of Memphis joined Moloch on bass after the album's completion and went on to play with Talking Heads, Stevie Wonder, and others. Anonymous Moloch album includes the first version of Going Down, later covered by Deep Purple, Joe Walsh, Brian Ferry, The Who, and Pearl Jam, among many others. Freddie King's version heard here was the theme to the TV comedy East Bound and Down. We formed Moloch before heavy metal, Baker explained. We wanted to be loud, rockin', and offensive. I got lumps in my throat when I saw her walking down the aisle. I got the weakness in my knees when she looked at me and saw her smile.
releasing a subsequent Moloch single on his own Booger Records. Lee Baker left the band in spring 1972. His quartet, Mud Boy and the Neutrons, debuted that Halloween in Memphis, featuring Baker, Sid Selvage, Jimmy Crosswaite, and Little Rock native Jim Dickinson. All We Are is a backing band for Baker, Dickinson said of Mud Boy. The band issued Known Felons in Drag in 1986 and Negro Streets at Dawn in 1993. Lee Baker additionally played on many other classic if obscure 1970s Memphis albums, including Big Star's Third, Alex Chilton's Like Flies on Sherbert, and Jim Dickinson's 1972 debut solo album, Dixie Fry. The bravest man that we ever saw And he showed us all he wasn't afraid of the law Through the black cross bars he taught a note to his dear He said it ain't my fault I'm still in here And you can Also in the 1980s, Baker formed Lee Baker and the Agitators, a more straight blues rock quartet than Mudboy and the Neutrons would ever aspire to be. Some Agitator band members had been in Moloch, most notably fellow guitarist Jimmy Seegerson. He wrote much of the material the Agitators recorded for the 1996 album debut. The 1990s had brought renewed interest in the blues, as well as nostalgia for Baker's legendary other bands. Baker, too, was known for his nurturing of the Memphis music scene, especially its old-style blues players like Furry Lewis. But in a tragic twist, Lee Baker and his 75-year-old Aunt Sally McKay were murdered September 10, 1996, in Horseshoe Lake in Crittenden County. It was later revealed to be a botched robbery attempt by two teenagers who had previously robbed and burned down Baker's home near Hughes in St. Francis County three weeks before. A few months later, the agitator's only full album, Fresh Oil, was released. I always wanted to be more than just somebody that could play three chords, Baker said of his guitar work. That Lee Baker was. Here it is guitarist and vocalist Lee Baker, who lived and died in East Arkansas with Mona from Baker's band Moloch. vocalist Lee Baker, a member of Moloch, Mudboy and the Neutrons, and the Agitators, who lived and died in East Arkansas with the Moloch song Mona from 1969. 
It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. Arkansas is underwritten by Arkansas Heritage. Relive your favorite Barton Coliseum concert memories at the Old State House Museum in downtown Little Rock, where they still play it loud. This is Ozarks at Large. The Writers Colony at Dairy Hollow in Eureka Springs will host its first ever songwriting workshop. For three days, songwriter Tim Easton will lead sessions at the Colony in Eureka. That's August 23rd through the 25th. Easton has released five solo records during his career, and he's played in the studio and live with Lucinda Williams, John Hyatt, and members of Wilco. Rolling Stone writes that as a songwriter, he has a novelist sense of humanity. Cost for the workshop alone, $350. The workshop plus residency at the Writer's Colony for the three days, $665. For more information and for registration details, you can go to writerscolony.org. Hey, this is Rafe Box, owner of Holy Anvil Recording Co. and the creator of the Anvil Sessions. The first ever Anvil Fest is just around the corner, happening August 18th and 19th at Cash Studios. It brings 10 local musicians to Bentonville for a free, two-day, all-ages fest featuring the Flims, Ashton Barbary, TV Preacher, Jess Harp, and more artists featured on the Anvil Sessions, my web series of live performances recorded at Holy Anvil Recording Co., and available to view on YouTube, NPR.org, and KUAF.com. For more info about Anvil Fest and the Anvil Sessions, head over to KUAF.com slash Anvil Sessions. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Huntsville. Contributors today included Daniel Carruth, Randy Dixon, and Stephen Cook. Today's show, produced by Matthew in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. You can always listen to us when you'd like by subscribing to the Ozarks at Large podcast. It's free. You can do that at KUAF.com or any major podcast distributor. KUAF is partnering with local McDonald's owner-operators to bring you the KUAF Lunch Hour Summer Concert Series. Tiny, desk-styled concerts at different McDonald's locations across northwest Arkansas, the River Valley, and the Green Country. These concerts lead up to the Lunch All Day Mini Festival in September. Upcoming performances include artist-designer Tylo May, August 18th in Fort Smith, and the Little Rock-based duo Daz and Bree performs September 1st in Fayetteville. KUAF.com slash summer concerts for more. KUAF is supported by its contributing listeners and by the Arkansas Podcast Collaborative, presenting Arcast Podcast Festival September 20th and 21st, where guests can hear from Arkansas podcasters as well as national experts, including the School of Podcasting and PRX, producers of shows like This American Life, Snap Judgment, and Reveal. More at ArkansasPodcasters.org.